Um, we are starting a brand new series today called Playlist. And the idea of this series, we're going to go through selected psalms um, over the next five to six weeks. Um, and as we do that, we're going to recognize that the importance of the psalms is that they help us process the breadth of human emotion, right? We live in a culture um, that is incredibly sensitive right now, emotionally, incredibly feelings-oriented. And reality is, it's not just the culture, right? I mean, it's us. Like, we all kind of wear our feelings uh, right here sometimes, and so we need to learn to biblically process uh, those emotions. And the Psalms help us do that probably as much as any other book as you read through the New Testament and you find quotations of Old Testament books, probably the Psalms are quoted just as much as any, if not more so, than any other from the Old Testament. It's called the prayer book of the human race, and it's done that intentionally. And so we're going to get to learn, to process, to experience biblically, kind of in a godly way, uh, the, ways that we, the ways that we feel at times. So the way that we're going to say it every week, the big idea for this series is that God writes the lyrics of our souls in the Psalms. The Psalms are songs, right? So God is writing really the lyrics of our souls um, in these Psalms. And today we're going to start with Psalm 103. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures you want to turn over there, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, now, what you're going to learn as you read through the Psalms, and I hope you're going to do that during this series, that you'll take the opportunity to read through um, uh, the Psalms, is that you're going to find there are different categories. For example, there are some uh, Psalms, Colby mentioned Psalms of Lament. We'll look at one of those next week. We're going to look at Psalm 42 and 43. They kind of go together. Um, we'll, we'll look at one of those next week. There, Some Psalms are tied to a historical event. Uh, my favorite category of psalms are called imprecatory psalms. That's a big word, but basically it's a big word that just means you get to pray against the people you don't like. Those are my favorite ones as I go through. As I go through. There are all kinds of categories, uh, but Psalm 103 that we're going to look at today, as you read it, you'll notice in the heading it's a psalm, right, of David, but it's not, um, it, it doesn't fall into a category. It's not tied to a historical event. It's a general psalm. So, um, psalm 103, it just, it's a garden variety psalm. It's a great one to introduce this series with because it's going to teach us how to deal uh, with life, generally speaking. So um, we'll look at uh, the first five verses are going to teach us um, what we need to remember. That's really what the psalm is about. It's about biblical remembering. The middle part of the psalm, right, teaches us why we can't forget the things that we ought to forget. And then the last part of the psalm is going to teach us how to become uh, a good rememberer, okay? So copy of Psalm 103, turn over, uh, turn over there, and we'll start, uh, we'll start reading in verse 1. It says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Um, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. In some ways, um, the key to interpreting all of Psalm 103 are those two words, forget not. This psalm, like I said, is about biblical remembering. You and I have to learn that. It's a skill. Uh, it's a, it's a, uh, a biblical discipline, um, if you will. How to be a good rememberer. And all the English teachers in the room are like, rememberer is not a word. But there's a specific reason that I'm, that I'm using it. Um, whenever uh, our youngest child, Sylvia, is uh, one of the worship leaders I hear this morning, whenever Sylvia was young, she had this incredible memory. 
She could, um, she could hear somebody's name one time that she had never even met, and she would not only remember their name, but if you said like the name of their pet, like there were times where she just would crazy remember uh, things. And, you know, and I, and I know that's, you know, every parent thinks that probably about, about their kid, because as we get older, our brains hold on to things that the brain thinks is important and filters out things that are not as important, which is a nice way of saying, as you get older, you lose your memory, right? Um, <clears throat> which, if you're old enough to be offended by that, no big deal, you'll forget about it in a couple of minutes. <laughs> no problem, right? But there was one time where Angie was trying to think of somebody's name and she couldn't think of the name. And in just a second, when Sylvia heard it, she came up, she's four years old. She comes up with the name and she never even met the person. And Angie's like, wow. It's like, Sylvia, how in the world? How do you do that? And Sylvia, four years old, looks up at Angie and she says, you know what, mom, in our family, I am the great rememberer and you are the great forgetterer. <laughs> and so really what happens in your life and my life is that the Bible warns us against becoming forgetterers. There is something inside of you and there is something inside of me that will um, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, that will forget about God. It, it's throughout the scriptures. Second Peter chapter one, for example, um, uh, Simon Peter, he warns us there in that letter. He says, the reason that you're not growing in your faith is because you have forgotten that you have been cleansed from your sins. It's throughout the scriptures, this, this call towards remembering. And one of the reasons I think that we struggle a little bit um, with this idea is that um, we think that remembering is simply mental Recall. We think whenever we read that word, we think about memory the way that we just think about memory. But I'm going to read you just a portion of verse 16. It won't be up on the screens. Um, but in the psalm, David says this, that God, this is wonderful psalm, God remembers our sins no more. Remembers our sins no more. So I want you to think about that for a minute. Do you think that when it says that God doesn't remember our sins anymore, that that means that God has lost mental recall. You think that's what, think, Bill sitting right down here on the front for a third row. You think that whenever it says God remembers Bill's sins no more, that God's sitting up in heaven going, man, back in 1993, Bill sinned big time. I mean, it was, ah, what was that? I can't quite remember what it, do you, you think that's what it means? I don't think that's what it means. I think when the Bible calls us to remember, it's more than just mental recall. It's not that we're just trying to think a thought about God that we've thought before, but rather biblical remembering, I think, is your affecting consciousness. That's what it says. When we're supposed to remember God, it's our affecting consciousness. In other words, it affects us. It's, it's part of the way we think about the world. We think about what we're seeing live, real time. It's part of our consciousness. It's part of the way we process our emotions. It's part of the way that we process information and make decisions. My life group leader refers to it all the time. He calls it the God grid, right? That we have a way that we process things in the context of the world. And what I think David is arguing for here is that you and I need to learn to allow God and to allow God's truth to affect our consciousness. Think about it this way. I think what he's saying is we need to drive the truths of God out of the suburbs of our souls downtown into the core of our hearts. We have to 
focus and work and be disciplined to drive the truth of God downtown into, into our core, right? That's, that's the what of the psalm that we need uh, to, be, to be doing. But then that brings up the question. If, um, some of you are probably saying, well, Dean, I'm, I hear what you're saying, but I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a forgetter. I remember a lot of things. As a matter of fact, I can remember almost all of the bad things. All of those things that have been spoken to me, all of those things that have hurt me, all the experiences in my life that I've had that have been difficult, I can remember, I can remember every bit of that stuff. Why is that? Why is it that we, and it's part of the human condition, that we forget the things that we ought to remember and we remember the things that we ought to forget. Here's what David says in, um, in verse three of the Psalms. Think about this for just a sec. It's the speaking of God who forgives all your iniquity and heals all of your diseases. Think about, think about the magnitude. He forgives all of your iniquity is just another word for sin. All the things you ever done, he forgives all of your iniquity. You obviously didn't hear what I just said. God forgives all of your iniquity. Every bit of it. And when you think about it, God covers all of it. Now, you know what that means, though? Is that if God covers all of your iniquity, he covers, a, thank you very much. Back there, I got somebody who believes he doesn't just cover your iniquity. That means he covers all of the iniquity of the person sitting on your right and the person sitting on your left. He covers all of the iniquity of the people who've said all of those things, who've done all of those things, the things that you and I can't forget. This week, I mean, we had a meeting of church planters here in town and it was mealtime. And so I went and sat down at a table and it was kind of already populated with some of my friends from around Ohio and other places, uh, pastors, church planters. And I went um, and sat down, just we we're gonna eat. And so one of the guys says, Listen, you'll never believe what happened this week. He said, this lady called me. She said, they're moving to our area, to our town. And uh, she starts peppering me with all these questions about our church and all these intricacies and all this stuff about our church. And we're all kind of chuckling, right? Because we've all had experiences um, <clears throat> like that. And then he looks right at me. It's one of my peers, right? Looks right at me. And uh, I said, he said, I asked her, where are you from? And she said, well, I'm from the north side of Columbus. He says, I've got a buddy who pastors over on the north side of Columbus. He pastors Life Point Church. And he, she, he said that she said to him, oh, I've been to Life Point. Can I tell you what they don't believe in? Blah, 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 blah. And it's something that we obviously believe in. I've taught, it, I've taught on it before, right? It's in our theological statements and documents. This lady's only been here a couple of times. He said her name. I know exactly who she is because she called me and she peppered me with the same questions. And he said, and she said, life point, da, 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 da. And so you know what I said? I said, well, let me tell you something about her. She's a loudmouth gossip and her mama's probably ugly. <laughs> I didn't say that. I'm not allowed to say that because I'm a pastor, but I thought it, okay? I thought it. And you know, in my mind, what I want to do is I want to jump to my defense. I want to jump to, to criticize the one who's critiquing me, right? But you know what? The first thought that rose up in my spirit, studying Psalm 103, 
The Bible gets in the way of a lot of fun things. <laughs> the first thing that rose up in my heart was, Dean, I've got that covered. It's not just all my sin that's covered. It's all of her sin that's covered. So the difficult things, and this is, this is just a reality of the human condition that you and I have to deal with, that we have, that we have to process, right? All of the difficult things we've been through, all the difficult things that have happened to us, the tough things that have been said to us, it's, it's just reality. You're a young lady, you're here in the room today. People give you compliments. They tell you, your grandparents tell you how pretty you are. Doesn't matter. Your, your friends, they give you all the hearts on Instagram, right? Doesn't matter. Your mom, your dad, they tell you how pretty you are and all. And one seventh grade boy who doesn't know how to talk to girls walks by and looks at you one day and says, you look different. Lobs a compliment or lobs a comment to you. What sticks? Uh, maybe for you, um, <clears throat> maybe, it's, um, maybe it's more related to your capacity, right? Um, maybe it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good you did uh, in high school when your physics teacher said you got a bright future. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter that your boss at work says you did a great job with the project. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't matter um, how proud your spouse is of you. But when you were nine years old, your mom said you're never going to amount to anything. She just lobbed a compliment. Your dad said, listen, you'll never, you'll never. Just lob that out there at you. What sticks? See, the reality is our hearts are in some ways Teflon to encouragement. And they're Velcro to criticism. And so we remember all of the stuff that we ought to forget. And we forget all of the stuff that we ought to remember. You're like, well, what, are the, what are the things that I ought to remember? Well, the things that we ought to remember is, are the truths that come out of God's word that he says about us. Like that's what, that's what we have to drive downtown into our souls to fight the lies of the enemy that sometimes come through the voice of other people. It explains things. It, it, so many things when you step back and you think about it when we're not locked in emotionally, and we're not so sensitive about everything, step back and look, you pan back, and it makes so many things make sense. A couple of years ago, new young singer um, comes from a Christian perspective. Um, she starts singing songs, and they don't just play in a Christian audience, but they have crossover appeal. So it's not just Christian radio, Christian music, Christian downloads, right? It's, it's across platforms, it's country, it's pop. And all of a sudden she goes from just another new artist on the scene to being catapulted to the top of charts. When Lauren Daigle sings a little song called You Say. I'll read the opening lines to you. That's what it says. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? 
See, that's why what Colby said is so important. That's why you worship through the storm. Because if you don't, you find yourself in the storm, you'll think, is this all there is in life? Is it just low, high, low, high? I'm just gonna be on the coaster back and forth, hoping that it's not so bad that he eventually takes me out? That's the question we're all at. Am I more than that? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. Ooh, oh. <laughs> it's the next line. You say I am love. And it's so interesting to me that I'll see social media platforms, right? When this song was so, such a big deal and it was, it was, you know, crushing in the United States. And I see people saying, you say I am loved. And I'm like, do you know who you is? Because <laughs> you is not your mama. And you is not your dad. And you is not your coach. And you is not your boyfriend. And you is not your, it's not your girlfriend. And you is not your high school teacher. But the you that she is singing about in that song is Yahweh, right? It's a higher authority. And so what she is singing and what she's saying, the reason that it resonates is because all of us struggle to remember the things that we seem to forget. And, to for, and we all forget the things that we need to remember, and he, here's what just ratchets this up. I believe in this Psalm, there's this reference, this idea that comes out of Deuteronomy chapter eight, it's this idea that God knows we're gonna forget him. He knows it. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 11, God speaking to the people of Israel, he said, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I am commanding you about today. God says, listen, lest you forget. God knows we're going to forget him. Why would, we, why would we do that? Why would we forget God? We do it intentionally. Sometimes it's not just that we get distracted. Sometimes we do it because we want to be the CEO of our own souls. We want to be in charge, right? And the only way for me to be in charge is that I have to forget the fact that God really is in charge, that God says he's in charge, that what's taught in the scriptures is that God is my highest authority. So I have to intentionally, I have to work really hard to forget about that so that I can fool myself into thinking that I'm the one in control. But the problem with that is the more I try to be in control, the more I realize that I'm not in control. And the more I try not to think about God, I find my way into thinking about God. If you've, ever, um, if you've ever played golf, right? Um, maybe you're a, I don't know, weekend golfer, average golfer. Maybe you've played for a few years. You know that when you golf, you're gonna hit some good shots. You're gonna hit some bad shots, right? You're gonna be in the woods some. You're gonna be in the weeds some. That's just the way golf goes. However, there's a specific kind of bad shot in golf that has a name. And if you've played, if, if you've golfed long enough, you you know, it's like the unwritten rules of baseball, like certain things you don't say in the middle of a baseball game. There's a shot in golf that's so bad that you don't even say it out loud because if you, if you make this shot one time, this shot becomes a condition. It can become, a, it can become a case and you can not, you, you start hitting every shot becomes this one shot, right? If you've golfed, what's the shot? It's, a, it's a, every, there we go, right there. You don't even, you won't even dare say the word shank on the course because you can get a case of the shanks. 
Here's how a shank works, right? If you're a right-handed golfer, you're gonna line up to the ball, right? You're gonna set up and what happens is a shank is when you come through the ball and you hit it, it's really an amazing shot, by the way. I've hit a lot of them. You hit the ball, you're aiming this way, right? Everything's supposed to go that way. You hit the ball dead right, 100 miles an hour, and if it hits somebody, they die instantly. That's how it works, right? It's an amazing shot when you think about it. But all of a sudden you step up there and you do that once and you realize if that gets into the groove of your swing, like you have, like, you know, you have to have that exercised out of your golf swing, right? To eventually get it out of there to hit the ball normally again. So think about it. You hit nine decent golf shots, right? You get, a, get ready to hit shot number 10, right? Shot number 10 is a shank. Now the most important thing is what's going through your mind when you hit shot number 11. When you line up over top of the ball, all you're thinking about shot number 11, don't think about the shank, don't think about the shank, don't think about the shank. And by trying to not think about the shank, what are you doing? You're thinking about the shank, right? And all you can think about is that you're gonna shank another shot when everything you're trying to do. That is Romans chapter one, right? Romans chapter one says that you and I, we are sinners who've forgotten about God. And so what we do is we suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness, right? We do everything we can to not think about God. We distract ourselves. We can become addicted to substances. We can fill our lives with, um, you know, everyday normal habits. Um, we can fill our lives with shopping and eating and all these other things that can distract us from God. If we allow them to become uh, those kinds of things, things that dominate our thinking, we suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. But in doing so, what we realize is that there will come these moments along the way when you walk out onto a beach and you feel a breeze and you look up at night and you see the stars and something deep, deep down inside of you says, there's something bigger going on here. Sometimes you walk out into nature, there's a sunrise. And you think about all the things that have to happen for that sunrise to happen. And you realize and recognize from the deepest part of who you are, there's something bigger going on here. And the more you try to not think about God, the more you find yourself thinking about God. So how do you solve it? How do we fix it? Sin has so dislocated our hearts. And I think the answer is in verse one, at least to some degree that we already read. I'm gonna read it to you again. This time I'm gonna read it to you from the NIV um, uh, version just to get a different perspective. Psalm 103.1, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. The answer to why is really where. The answer to how is really, really where. My inmost being. You and I have to drive the truths of God downtown into the core of our hearts. Got to get them out of the suburbs uh, of our minds and drive them down to the core until they become part of our affecting consciousness. So, well, how do we do that? Like, what do I do? Do I read scripture for five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day? The answer is as long as it takes. 
That's the reason when you walk out there through the lobby, you see our five core values up on the wall. One of those core values is called spiritual intimacy. We say spiritual intimacy means we are his. Until the reality of, of this idea that you say I am loved becomes the thing that fuels your soul. Until we say Christ is my firm foundation. Until that becomes the frame, the grid through which we see, think, and process other things that helps us understand why we feel the way that we feel sometimes. But just because we feel it doesn't make it right. We have to take our feelings and we subject our feelings to the truths of what God says about us and what God says about the realities of the world. And when we drive those truths downtown, we've got to get them to our inmost being. So what? So whatever it takes, however long it takes. But you won't, you won't change. This is the reason we fight against this reality that just, you know, you're a Christian, show up at church on Sunday. It's not enough just to have the information. It's not enough just to intake information and every now and then think some God thoughts. This, has it gotten to your affecting consciousness? Does what you hear on Sunday work on Monday as you're thinking through decisions, as somebody critiques you? I remember when uh, I was a kid, maybe I had an experience like this. Um, you know, I wanted my parents to buy me something too expensive and they would tell me, can't afford that. And I didn't, I didn't, I just didn't buy it, right? Can't afford that, can't afford it. And, I, and I, so I'd get just a little bit, not a lot, my dad would have, but just a little bit, right? I got a little, I get a little bit fussy and with my mom more so than my dad. And here's where the argument always went. Always, my mom would say, you just wait till you grow up and get a job and you have to pay taxes. That's where it always went. You, you have to pay taxes. By the way, Tuesday's the day. Are you ready? Have you filed yet? Like, some of you, I mean, some of you are looking at me like, I haven't filed yet, right? I mean, I haven't even started, right? Yeah. Or you have to pay taxes. And for me, as a kid, I was like, I don't care. Like, taxes were in the whatever suburbs of my mind. I just wanted what I wanted. But I got my first job at the South Point Pool when I was 15 years old. They were going to pay me $3.65 an hour. Man, I had calculated all the money I was going to get in my first check. They handed me my check. I took it home. I opened up my check, and they didn't pay me enough. And my mom was a bookkeeper. That's what, that's what she did. She worked for a food brokerage. She helped. I said, mom, what happened? I said, they're not paying me what they said they were going to pay me. They said they were going to pay me 365. She looked at my check. She said, they did pay you. I said, they didn't pay me. She said, oh yes, they did. I said, well, then why didn't I, if you multiply that out, why didn't I get what I was supposed to get? She looked at me. She said, taxes. <laughs> she was so happy, right? <laughs> that I had to pay taxes. And all of a sudden, taxes went from being in the whatever suburbs of my mind to my innermost being, right? Because taxes and all of a sudden, now they frame the way that I looked at work and the way that I looked at income and the way, and that's what has to happen with God's word, with the truth. Because as David wraps up Psalm 103, He's talking to us about, listen, driving these truths downtown into the core, getting them into the, the urban parts of your heart. Here's what he's gonna leave us with. This is what we need to drive. This is the information that he wants us to hold on to. Look at verses four and five. Who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed 
like the eagles. He says, listen, Dean, he says, listen, uh, this is what God's gonna do for you, Dean. He redeems you, he crowns you, he satisfies you, he renews you, all of those things. So that this can happen, verse eight, where the Lord is merciful. Aren't you, great? Aren't you glad that the Lord is merciful? That the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What's interesting about this verse is that this is a, this is a quotation, it's a reference. If you've got a copy of scripture with you right now and you have cross references, I bet if you check your cross references, there's a good chance you'll see CF Exodus 34, six, because this is, this is a quotation from Exodus 34, six. God speaking to the Hebrews out of the promised land on their way to the Exodus. God says to the people through Moses, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's abounding in steadfast love. And he says that, but you know what it says, right? After Exodus 34, six, Exodus 34, it says, and he will by no means clear the guilty. He will by no means clear the guilty. In other words, nobody gets away with anything. Nobody gets off scot-free. God is going to hold us accountable. Exodus 34, it's what Moses says to the people. But then you look further down in Psalm 103, verse 12, and it says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he, he, God, removed our transgressions from us. David says, look, look east, look at the horizon, and look west, at the western horizon. They're never gonna touch each other. Every time you look, there's always gonna be an east, there's always going to be, the two will never come together. He says, as far as the east is from the west, the idea being as far as you can see that way to as far as you can see that way, and that way is never going to touch that way. That is how far God has removed our sins from us. It's incredible. But now wait a minute. Moses said, God will by no means clear the guilty. David says, as far as the east is from the west, God has removed his sins from us. So who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe Moses? Or are you going to believe David? And the answer is, you're going to believe them both. Because you read in Isaiah chapter 53, that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him him, the coming Messiah. That was future tense to Isaiah. To you and me, it's past tense that the Lord has laid on him, him, Jesus. What we celebrated on Good Friday, the crucifixion of our Lord, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity. What? Not just any iniquity, not just general iniquity, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, what? Of us. You didn't get away with anything. Your sins don't just randomly disappear. Your sin and my sin got laid on the shoulders of our Savior on the cross. 
Because God will by no means clear the guilty. So even though you and I are guilty, Jesus takes our sin, he takes our iniquity on the cross so that what? So that as far as the east is from the west, he removes our sin from us. That's why on the cross, Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which by the way, is a quote from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Another great word for forsaken is forgotten. My God, my God, why have you forgotten me? In the crucible, crucial moment of the life of Jesus where he needs his father, he needs this fellowship of the Trinity and more so probably than any other time. And because God is holy and he can't look on sin and he can't be part of sin, Jesus is abandoned to death on the cross. Jesus is forgotten so that you and I will understand that God will always remember us. That's why David says, the last verse there, verse 17 of the Psalm 103, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. Listen, as much as I can tell you, communicate to you, with all the heart I have, drive the cross downtown to your innermost being. Let that become the foundation. If you wanna know, does God love me? If you wanna know, does God care about me? If you wanna know, does God, is God with me in the storm? Is God, is God, is he worth worshiping in the middle of the storm? If you wanna know, what do I do about all these other voices? What do I do about all these other things that have happened to me? Start with what God said. So that's why when we come to a day like today, we're gonna to celebrate communion together. Because the night before Jesus went to the cross, he takes out bread and he takes out wine. And he says to the disciples, do this in, what's the word? Remembrance. It's here a part of the biblical pattern of remembering that you and I come to communion. And this is why communion is for believers right? If you're not a believer and you're taking these, we take these elements in a memorial kind of, kind of way because they call us to remember the broken body of Jesus. They call us to remember the blood of Jesus on the cross. And if you're not, if you're not a Christian, if you've not given your life um, to Christ, you're just, I mean, really getting a shot of grape juice and you're going to eat a wafer that tastes like packing peanuts, right? Because that's where we are uh, in the world. Everything has to be sterile and packaged and, and all of that. But, but for the Christian, when you hold this little symbolic wafer in your hand and you put it on your tongue, it's a biblical expression of taste and see that the Lord is good. So the night before Jesus was with his disciples, he said, take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to the disciples. And he said, drink all of it. 
Let's pray together. God, we receive communion. We receive this supper in this moment today because it calls us to remember and remembering allows us to repent, to turn our hearts in your direction. It allows us to sing that uh, by your blood and in your name, in your freedom, I am free. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You have authority and I don't. And quite frankly, God, if I try to take steps on my own, if I try to be the CEO of my own soul, I'm gonna ruin it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess it up. Those moments are gonna come. But moments like this, God, these reminders of the cross are crucial to what you're doing in our life. And so as we receive these elements, God, we do it with a heart of repentance this morning. Glad, joyful, grateful that you, will remember our sins no more. God, I pray this morning that this is pleasing to you. It's in your name we pray, amen.